0: I had some really cool slides for you in this sermon that you're not going to see, but that's okay because it's not about the slides. It's about the word of God. Amen. So you're going to actually, you're going to need to be, have a a copy of this. And by the way, can I want to encourage you as your pastor, I know we have the Bible on our phones and, and in some way that's probably a good thing. But could I, could I encourage you to bring a physical copy of God's word to God's house with you? We really need to do that, and, and, and I believe that's not what this sermon is about, but I believe we need to start weaning ourselves off of these handheld computers. Um, I, I just think, and there's nothing like holding the written Word of God in your hand. So with that in mind, would you make your way to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. You'll have to pay close attention to get the fill-ins today, but I will try to cover each one. We all, we all have our confidence somewhere. A question, where is your confidence this morning? Let's talk about that. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy and precious word? Philippians chapter 3, just three verses, 1 through 3. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you? it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in King Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Father, may you add your blessing to the reading of your word and to its declaration here in just a moment. May what you once said and communicated uh, be the primary thrust of this time together this morning. And may you be glorified as we are obedient. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you can be seated. Keep your Bible open. Get your outlines this morning as we will need them. You know, someone once said, uh, I think it is quite accurate. to say when you turn on the light, The bugs always show up. Right? When the truth shines out, error shows up. And we're gonna see that this morning. And I want you to join me as we try to discover who let the dogs out. That's the title of the message this morning. Who let the dogs out? And the Baja Men had a great hit song. I think it's their only hit song (laughs) was Who Let the Dogs Out. And we can hear it in our minds right now, right, Jay? Uh, but we're gonna talk about that today and We're going to see this in Philippians. So to that end, the imprisoned apostle reminds us to do three things in three verses here. And number one is to revisit our relationship with God. To revisit our relationship to God. Look there in verse 1. Paul says, finally, and we know that that doesn't mean it's over. He said, and now to the rest of what I have to say to you, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice, first of all, letter A is the relationship. What does he call him there? He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in who? What's your Bible say, church? The Lord. I know it's hard not looking at the screen. You've got to look at the Bible in your lap, but that's a good thing. <laughs> the Lord. Anybody know what that means? That's exactly right, Brian. It's the Greek word kurios, which means master. It means master. Now that word master, there's another word for that. <laughs> it's owner. Whoa, rejoice in your owner. Do we have that mentality? If you're a blood-bought child of God, do you realize that you you have a master who died for you bore your sins? I I think there are some things, and this is not in your outline, but if you you can write fast, you might get them all. There are some implications from that word. I think the first implication I, I take from this word kurios or master is that of... There is a sovereign, an authority that is over us. The master is in control. The owner owns you. And there is a sovereign authority. Because of that, there is a submission to that authority, our master. God is the sovereign as our master. We are called as his servants to submit. Sub means under, right? Submission. We need to come under God's mission for you and I. And we talked about that in depth this morning to expand the kingdom. Are we coming up underneath the mission of God for our lives, submission to our master? Then I think there's an identity there. It's a servant identity. We have a sovereign God, a master. We have submission to that master. And I think this word implies a servant. A master with no servants is a nobody. Amen? There is no such thing as a master with no servants. We have a servant identity. We look at ourselves as a result of this, as we rejoice in being owned by the Lord, the master. We realize that we are his servants. We are his property. We are his special people. And then the last thing I see there, what do servants do? Th- thank you, Jay. Servants serve, Right? That's what we're, So in and, and all this idea of Lord, we see this relationship to God. We have a sovereign. We have a submission to that sovereign, that master. We have an identity of a servant, and servants serve. As our, as our normal course of action, we serve the Lord. I think in here, too, understanding how, how slaves were bought and sold. Letter B is the word redeemed. It's a beautiful Greek word. It's ekagorazo. Um, um, the garaza was the slave market. Ek means out of. Literally, the word redeemed means to purchase out from underneath the slave market. Can you imagine yourself being sold as a slave in a slave market? And if you were so fortunate to be purchased by a good master who would purchase not only you, but your entire family and love you and care for you, Would your heart not rejoice? Oh, beloved, if this this king has purchased you today, you got a much better deal than that. Amen? We we have been redeemed. We were sold under sin, the Bible says. Sin was our master. We were a slave to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, the flesh of self, and the devil who is Satan. The system, the self, and Satan himself. were, We're a slave to that. But now we have been submerged into the Lord. Amen. We have been purchased out from underneath that. And I think the letter C there is this idea of resting in God's sovereignty. So we have the relationship of master. We have been redeemed. The master has purchased us out from underneath the yoke of slavery to sin. And now we are resting in the good sovereignty of a good God. And there's two R's there underneath that. One is revisiting, and I dealt with this in depth last week, so I'll not do it again. But we need to revisit, rejoice what? In the Lord. Rejoy yourself in your master. How do we do that? We revisit what has been done for us. How am I saved? By grace through what, church? Faith. How am I saved? What is my redemption price? The very blood of the precious Lamb of God. Who paid it? Jesus Christ. With what did he pay? His own blood. Who does the saving? God himself. Why am I called to this life? To glorify God by serving him as his slave. As his child. As his adopted heir joint heirs with King Jesus. It's what we're here to do. We need to revisit that. Can anybody here raise your hand and say, you know what, God was sure fortunate when he got me. Right? I I fear there's some people that that might actually believe that. But here's the reality. There's only one person fortunate in that deal, and that's you. Amen? And I. Because we did not deserve salvation. So we revisit. We revisit what God has done for us, And then we retell the story. It's the retelling of the story. We revisit what's been done and then we retell the story. We, for, you know who you retell the story to first? Yourself. Every single day. And then you tell it to other people. What's the story? It's pretty simple. The father planned it. The son paid for it and the spirit produces it. Our salvation. Do we do we deserve it? Absolutely not. We got to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. That's why I highly recommend this book right here, Gospel Primer. This will help you. They're little short, short readings, and then there's a, a section on what is the gospel, and it's laid out so beautifully. Every family, every every Christian father should have this this book in your home. Husbands and wives should read this together. Families should read this together. Every single the readings are short. You should. You should teach the poem of the gospel to your children. It's in the rhyme and meter of Dr. Seuss. Uh, Beholding the heavens, I now understand he created it all in the palm of his hand. Um, all that, That's the rhyme and meter of the whole thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful little book by Pastor Milton Vincent. Um, I highly recommend it. Why? Because this forces us to preach the gospel, to retell the story of what has been done for us. So that is resting in God's sovereignty. Number two in verse number two, So we move on from the revisiting our relationship to God. remember the relationship that He's the master and we're the servants, right? And there's a submission to that authority and, and we're redeemed. He's purchased us out from the slave market of sin. And because of that we can rest in the sovereignty of God. Number two is, I've hyphened, hyphenated this word, but it's recognizing false teachers. And the reason I I hyphenated that is that word re, what does that word re mean? Again, that's right. And then the verb, the infinitive verb form there is cognate. Anyone know what cognate we get cognition from? What does that mean? To think. So literally, recognize means to think again. Take a second look. Think again. Recognize false teachers. Look at verse number two. Remember, Paul just said, it's safe for you to let me say this to you over and over again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And I don't mind telling you because it's a safety net for you. Why? Three times he says, beware. Look at verse number two. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. And beware of the mutilation. Three things to beware of here. And he's very serious about it. I wrote down here that these three things to beware of are three salacious, synonymous symbols of something called the circumcision party. Three salacious, synonymous symbols or descriptions of the circumcision party. Dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation. And it's interesting. He just comes off of telling us in verse one, rejoice. Isn't that kind of a happy word? You with me? Rejoice, rejoy yourself in the Lord and your Master. You are taken care of, and go revisit the story and and gladden your heart in your rescue that had nothing to do with you. But now all of a sudden, don't don't miss it. This harsh-toned accusation comes right on the heels of rejoice in the Lord, and it is a serious change in tone, and it's indicative of a transition from what he taught in chapters 1 and 2 to what is now his main concern. This is a transition verse in verse number 2. Um, this book right here has been one of my favorites loaned to me by my uh, pastor friend of mine uh, Pastor Brett called uh, The Message of Philippians by J.A. Moiter. He says this on page 147. Jesus has been glorified in chapter 1 and 2 as God, Savior, Example, and Lord. So then... Rejoice in the Lord. He is about to be displayed in chapters three and four as the Christian's pride, choices, possession, ambition, pattern, possessor, and the crucified and coming Savior. Should we not then rejoice in the Lord? Great quote. So the idea here is let the master be the one who makes you happy. What's the last thing that gladdened your heart? And was it God? But notice the stark transition between rejoice and beware. Those are two different words, aren't they, Jay? Uh, and by the way, they're both commands. We're commanded to rejoice, but we're also commanded hey, beware. Rethink some things. Here's why. Number one is beware of the dogs or beware of dogs. And that's where I got my title from today, Who Let the Dogs Out? Well, i tell you who let the dogs out. The enemy let the dogs out. Like I said before, whenever you turn on the light, the bugs show up. Paul was turning on the light of the gospel. We talked about it this morning in D groups. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The power of God is latent inside the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's there. And it's powerful and it changes lives. And, and as we see in the New Testament in the first century, it changed entire cities. And when that happens, word gets out. And Satan sends his people right down the heels of any good revival in order to do three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. So these Judaizers were a group of, of, of uh, Jewish supposed converts. They really weren't. They were yet unregenerate, not born again. And they were trying to pull people back into Judaism. And and there was this group of these very passionate Jews who followed Paul everywhere that he went, telling the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised and become Jews in order to really be set right with God. And this happened all over. They went everywhere Paul went. And Paul calls them dogs. Dogs. Now, these, these, are not your, um, these are those who put a plus sign after Christ in their teaching about salvation. Christ plus circumcision. And then there was a whole big list behind that of what they had to do and keep. Basically, you've got to become a Jew if you want to be set right with God. So Paul calls them dogs. Now, these are not your pet dogs. By the way, even today in the Middle East, dogs are not cool. I mean, people don't have pets, pet dogs in the middle. Dogs are just not valued, treasured things over there. (laughs) They're considered unclean animals. And these dogs specifically, when he calls them dogs, these are wild dogs. They're dangerous, snarling scavengers who lived in the forest by day. And then at night they would come into the city to scavenge whatever they could. And they would attack you if they could get away with that. Um, in Matthew 7, 15, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Be alert. There's people out there that, that, that come, you thinking they're telling you the truth, but listen to their message. That's why you rejoice. You revisit the gospel all the time. So when you hear something that's not the gospel, your radar is, is tuned in. Does that make sense this morning, church? That's what we need to be doing. So he calls them beware of dogs. The second thing he calls them, he says, beware of evil workers. Same people now, same group of people, these snarling dogs. He says, beware of the evil workers. They are destroyers of grace. Now here, these guys were going around trying to get people to be good and do good by following the law of God. That's not a bad thing unless you add that as a condition for the gospel. They were destroyers of grace. If you can do something to earn it, it's no longer grace, it's payment. And there was only one payment made for our salvation, and brothers and sisters it had nothing to do with us. It didn't cost you one drop of your own blood, but every drop of his. Does that make sense this morning? So he says we need to be just jot this down, 2 Peter 2:1. 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. When you get home, go look that up. I'll give you several scriptures to do that with. So he calls them evil workers. They're out there thinking they're doing good things. Even Paul, before he was converted, thought he was doing a good thing by persecuting the church. He's going to tell us about that next week. But but he realizes what I thought was good, going after this sect of Judaism called followers of the way. That's what the first church was called as the way. Um, he, I'm going out. And not only was he arresting people, he's even having some of them executed for publicly professing faith in King Jesus. He was pretty passionate. Paul was a Judaizer. That's why he knew these guys so well. I believe that some of these Judaizers in this group of snarling dogs and evil workers that came along were people that Paul rubbed shoulders with. They were his former friends and compatriots as they zealously contended for the law of Almighty God. But he calls them evil workers. And then the last one is he calls them beware of the mutilation. Now, now this is a slap in the face. Paul knows what he's doing here. You see, this group like to be called the circumcision party. You know, kind of we have Republicans and Democrats. Well, in, in their world, they called themselves, we are the circumcision party. Paul would not give them that. He says, no, you are the mutilation is what you are. Now, circumcision, we know what that is. It is the removing of the foreskin of the male member. Pretty severe. I I, I don't know about you. I'll take baptism. Baptism's good with me. (laughs) People say, oh, I got to go out there and get my hair wet. Yeah, the alternative's worse, way worse. (laughs) Okay? But that was the sign. That was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But he calls them the mutilation. So he, gives, he calls them this slur word, this mutilation party. And, and they were. They, they were mutilators. They were dividers of brethren. They were deluders of the grace of God by adding works. They were destroyers of the gospel by adding a ritual in order to make the gospel effective. So they divided the brothers, they deluded grace, and they destroyed the gospel. Paul said, All you are is a bunch of mutilators, they were false teachers adding to the gospel. By the way, do you think we have some of those still around today? They might not be telling you. Some of them are telling you you got to be circumcised to be right with God. That's still happening. There's a whole movement out there called the Hebrew Roots Movement. 98% of them in this country are Gentiles. They're not even Jews. And they're putting you back underneath Old Testament civil and ceremonial law. Saying, okay, yes, it is about Jesus, and we're so thankful. They like to call him Yeshua, which is Jesus' Hebrew name, because it's all about Hebrew roots. And and our our faith is based on the Hebrew roots. But when you start adding conditions, Jesus the King plus something for the gospel, you have become a dog, an evil worker, and a mutilator. And you all better pay attention, because some of your neighbors and family members are getting caught up in this mess. And we need to stand up and call it what it is, just like Paul did. Every, every person, false prophet in the last election who said, God told me that Donald Trump is going to be in the White House for a second term. They're a false prophet. You don't give a dime to those people and you never listen to them again. They're liars and they're false prophets. Stay away from those people. They are not of God. No matter what they say that tickles your ears. It's not about politics. It's about a kingdom. There's cults out there, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and every one of them attacked the person and deity of Jesus Christ. You need to be aware. Christian science is another one. Not the same. They proclaim a Jesus who is not the Jesus of this Bible. It's a different Jesus. And the end of of those false teachers is destruction. And if you embrace that, you will be destroyed with them. And there are even many quote-unquote churches today, and we must be careful that we are never named among them, who have some type of works-based salvation. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus plus something. And you know what they are. Catholicism is one, and I come from that background, and I praise God that God delivered my Father from that. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You pray to no saint, you don't pray to Jesus' mama, because she's the one that said in her prayer, my soul uh, rejoices in God, my Savior. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. She was not sinless. You don't go to a man to get your sin forgiven. You go to the God man to get your sins forgiven. And they're going to add all sorts of things. That is a works-based religion. And we're not all on the same team. And you need to recognize, recognize. You need to think again. Because these people that you think are your buddies and brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not. They're lost. They're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ alone. And God puts you in their life to tell them the truth in love. That they, might, that, that, that they might embrace the true gospel, Christ and Christ alone. We've got to be careful. Even there are, there are even many Reformed churches out there who either front load or back load the gospel. And there are many who say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ plus nothing. But once you're in... Once you're, once you're his child, then here comes all the pluses. <laughs> You've got to do all these things. You better jump through all these hoops, and you better dot your I's this way, and you better cross your T's this way, or you're out. That's backloading the gospel. That's a false teacher. We've got to know the real thing so we recognize the faults. Amen? And that's what Paul's saying here. By the way, jot this down. Go to Acts 15. Go home and read it this afternoon. This was such a big problem in the early church. The history of these dogs, these evil workers, these, this mutilation party, is, is described in Acts 15. They had to have the first church council. and uh, actually Jesus' brother James stood up and, and called, a, called the end to the, to the situation, and he gave the apostolic edict to end the bait, the debate over exactly what Gentile converts must do for salvation and what they must do after. And it's not what you're being told today in the Hebrew roots movement. It's not what you're being told today in many other churches. But James and the apostles in Jerusalem put an end to this debate. But these dogs, these evil workers, these mutilators, the light was on and the bugs were coming. And it didn't stop them. We need to be awake and alert. Number three, in this transition. So we revisit our relationship to God. He's the master, we're the servant. Um, then we recognize false leaders. We think again. False teachers, false teachings. By the way, the most dangerous place for you in Macon, which there isn't one anymore and that might not be a bad thing, is a Christian bookstore or Walls. Sorry, Ellie and Courtney. But that's a dangerous place. There is more false teachers in the form of books in those stores. Be careful. And by the way, you need to come to your elders, to your pastors, to your church leaders, and ask our... We will will do our best before God because we're going to answer to God for you. We're going to do our best to steer you straight. And we're going to tell you the truth because your souls matter to us. Trust us. That's what you're here for. That's what God put us here for. We want to help you with that. So we're going to recognize those false teachers. But now, now Paul, remember, this is his favorite church. He gives these Gentile saints a powerful affirmation that he and they are, number three, real deal saints in verse number three. So he says, beware of those dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation for, that word means because, because we are are the circumcision now um, then he lays out three identifying marks of a real deal saint and we're going to talk about that and then we're going to be done today but before he affirms that here's what he says and it's, it's really borne out in the Greek one of the rare times I, I, I think the new King James could have been translated better he, he's, in the Greek it says some of the other English translations have this He said, we are the true circumcision. But even that is falls short of of the emphasis. Um, um, Paul is using here a very specific Greek adjective to modify the word circumcision, which means as a people, as a group of people. Literally what he's saying here and communicating to them um, is that we only are the true circumcision, or we are the true circumcision only, only us. So, who's the we? Well, specifically, the we here, apply, Paul applies this circumcision and, 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 and this concept, calling themselves the true circumcision. And he's using it as a contrast versus the Judaizing dogs. You see the, see the difference? We're the real thing, and they're these snarling, wild, scavenger dogs. You know, you know Paul's smart. He is brilliant. You know what he's doing there? That's, a, that's, a, that's a not a nice term. That was a Jewish term for Gentiles. Even Jesus used that. When the Gentile woman came and said, come heal my son or daughter, I forget which one. was." And Jesus said, it's not meat for me to take the bread for the children, nation of Israel, and give it to dogs. Call the woman a dog. And, and that's not a nice word. And she's not phased by it. She goes, even so, Lord, we eat the scraps that fall from the table. I'm just asking for some crumbs. And God said, oh, what great faith. Right? So even Jesus used that term for Gentiles. That was a Jewish word to describe a Gentile someone outside of covenant with God, and they call them dogs. Now Paul flips it around. He goes, let me tell you something, folks. You Philippians, almost all Gentiles. There were probably no or very few Jewish believers in the church at Philippi. Gentiles. All the men, physically uncircumcised. They did not have the sign of the covenant. He said, let me tell you something. You, uncircumcised guys, and me, circumcised, we're the true circumcision. We're the only circumcision. And write this down. Go look it up. I don't have time to get into it. I wish I did, but just write down Romans 9. Paul is explaining what's what in there. And he even says, all Israel's not Israel, guys. <laughs> okay, just because you come from Abraham doesn't mean you're in Christ. Right? Um, and so... <clears throat> He's explaining this here. We're the true circumcision versus the Judaizing dogs. It's a play on words. Paul turns the table. Paul applies the circumcision in Romans 9 and following, 10 and even 11. Paul applies the circumcision covenantal blessings to not only himself, but also the Gentile Philippian saints. He he applies those covenantal blessings to them. The Judaizers were outwardly physically circumcised, Yet inwardly, they were uncircumcised. They had no cutting away of the heart, the heart's deadness towards God. That's what that was supposed to signify. That outward symbol, which is a pretty graphic one, was was to be a symbol of what was to take place in the heart of that Jewish man as he grew. And that is that his heart would be circumcised, would be cut And would now become sensitive to the covenant God of Israel. They had their physical member cut, but they had a deadness over their heart. The the reality of the picture never entered inside. It was only external. And Paul says, they might as well not even be circumcised. You guys, you uncircumcised uh, Philippians, you guys are circumcised. You're the circumcision party. You're the real circumcised. Your hearts are circumcised. And that's what it is about. The outward ritual was a symbol, or to be a symbol, of the inward reality. Now the Philippians were outwardly uncircumcised, yet they were inwardly circumcised. And as such, the Gentiles here become sons of Abraham. Covenant children, chosen inheritors of the promise made to Abraham, who was, by the way, uncircumcised when he got that promise. When that covenant was given to Abraham, he was as uncircumcised as the Philippians were. You can see that in Genesis 15. So to get to this last verse, who are we? Who's the we Paul's talking about here? And there's a way you can find out who we is. Is there anything that distinguishes the circumcised in the heart from people who aren't? And the answer is yes. Paul gives two affirmations and one negative Two affirmations and one negative. The first one is the upward mark of the circumcised heart. The upward mark of the circumcised heart. And we see that in verse number three. For we are the circumcision, only us, only we. What are the marks of this inward circumcision? People who worship God in the spirit. Who worship God in the spirit. Interesting word he uses for worship here, though. It's actually a word that in most places, in some New Testament translations, it's translated this way. In most places, that word is translated serve. It is the Greek word for religious or spiritual service toward God. Remember Paul said in Romans 12? That it is our spiritual service of worship. So I think we're gonna make a change in our vocabulary around here. Instead of calling this the worship service, Jay, we're gonna call it the service service. You like that? We're just gonna say service squared. How's that? <laughs> this is the service service. Because so many times in a worship service, you come in here and you don't even play a role. You just listen. You're not, a, you're not an active participant, you're a passive observer. That's not worship. Worship's a verb, folks. It means service. <laughs> We're, the, Paul said, who's we? I'll tell you who we are. It's those who serve God the Father in or via or by the Spirit. All of life is worship. By the way, man is hardwired to worship and to serve even before you're born again. You say, you, you mean I worship before I'm born? Uh-huh, you worship yourself. Unholy Trinity and me, myself, and I. You worship the world, the flesh, and the devil. What happens when you're born again? You just change who you worship. But you still worship. You still serve. The cut heart, as Paul would say later, is crucified to the world. And the world is crucified to it. Does that describe you? This spiritual surgery happens by the Holy Spirit. You should write this down. It's not in your outline, I don't think. But it happens by the Holy Spirit when we are, number one, submerged into the Spirit. As we are born again. We are baptized into Christ. There's no water in that verse. It's all spiritual. We are submerged into the Spirit. We are baptized by or into the Holy Spirit. The Greek word baptizo has the idea of submerging in. Has It's got zero connotation of coming back out. Now, don't worry. Some of you are getting ready to be baptized. We will bring you back out. But the picture is you go in the ground and you stay there because dead people stay in the ground until Resurrection Day. Amen? You are submerged into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. You are saturated by this same Spirit. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are submerged into Christ through the Spirit and then you are filled up with that Spirit. Does that make sense? Because you're 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 surrounded. You're living in the Spirit. And we're serving in the Spirit. We're we're submerged in the Spirit. We're we're filled by the Spirit. And then we're sealed with the Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, God finishes what He starts. Unlike ladies, some of your husbands. God finishes what He starts. When God starts a project, by the way, that's you. He's going to finish it. And that's what that sealing is all about. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Go read that when you go home. It Talks about what, how, we, how our bodies are dedicated to the service of God. So spiritual serving is the upward mark of the circumcised heart. But I want you to look now at the outward mark of the circumcised heart. The outward mark. Not only do we worship Or serve God through the Spirit. But also, we rejoice. Anybody heard that word lately? Rejoice? Anybody? Anybody at all? We rejoice, what does the Scripture say? In King Jesus. You say, Pastor, why do you keep changing that word Christ to King? Because that's exactly what it means. And you all have no idea what Christ means. But when I say King, you get an idea of someone that's got a crown and is in authority and doesn't play. That's Jesus, by the way. He is your King if you are a born-again child of God. Amen, Jay? He's our king. And we treat him that way. This, this is the outward mark of the circumcised heart. What? We rejoice in our king. We're, we're proud of our king. Anybody here proud of Jesus today? Anybody love him today? Anybody glad for Jesus today? Any part of your life? That word in a lot of other translations, and some of you are reading it right now, so that's not what my Bible says. It's the word Boast. Boast. We boast in King Jesus. What's that mean to boast? I'm going to tell you, what does that mean to boast in King Jesus? How? Brag. You did that this week, didn't you? Sure did. Met a lady while he was working. They both do the same type of work, delivering food. Never comes to my house. Hmm. I got an order. That's right. So he met her. They were crossing paths and Jay, what was it you said to her? Yes, he asked about his job, the company. He said, oh, Grubhub's been good to me. He said, but let me tell you something. He said, really, God's been good to me. What's he doing? He's bragging up God. Why? Because your heart's been cut, brother. Your your heart is sensitive to King Jesus. He's bragging up to God. He don't know who that woman is. She could be an atheist for all he knows. But he wants her to know, yeah, Grubhub's all right, but God, he's really good. Amen? And that's that's what this verse means. You know why that's you know why God wants wants us to boast in Jesus? Boast and rejoice in King Jesus? Because the giver gets the glory. He's the one who's doing the giving, and we're boasting. Look what he gave me. Look what, look what Grubhub's been great, but look what Jesus, look what look what God's given me. Right? It's making much of Christ. So here's the question: Are we using our platform to brag up King Jesus? Does that thought even ever cross your mind? Is King Jesus your joyous theme? This intones a a joyous satisfaction in our King. Are you satisfied with the Lord today? John Piper says this, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. You know what you boast and brag about? That which satisfies you the most. What satisfies you? I've had some good meals lately. They were satisfying, but guess what? I got hungry later on. But My king gives me an eternal satisfaction. Have you experienced that? Now, I love you folks. You know I do, but I don't trust you. So I want you to do the book. Somebody, somebody in King Jesus this morning. Tell me something that you want to brag on Jesus about. Come on, we'll sit here all day. The opportunity be sharing the yeah, the, amen. See, you're rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> An opportunity. Someone else, brag up Jesus. Put your boast in him. Yes, Reba. Yeah, yeah. Just to be able to, he got you out of bed and here you are. Praise the Lord. Someone else, brag him up what we're here to do. We're going to do the book. Don't look at me like I've got three heads. I know what I'm doing. You see, it's, it's not enough to hear it. we got to do it. Right here in the house. But give me one more. Someone brag up Jesus. Whew! Maybe. Oh. Man, so true. So true. Again, my favorite book here. Mottier said this. Thus God has reached down from heaven to take a people for himself. He has animated them by his spirit, displayed before them beauty, the beauty and satisfactoriness of his son and given them faith in him. But he's also shown them what they are in themselves. So that alongside the experience of the life-giving spirit and truth of the atoning son, they are aware that they totally lack any personal worth. They put no confidence in the flesh. And that's the last mark that identifies the we. We serve in the energy of the Holy Spirit. We brag and boast in King Jesus. And then the last one is the inward mark of the circumcised heart. The inward mark. And it is that we put no confidence, no trust in the flesh whatsoever. Now think about this. The Judaizing dogs, the evil workers, the mutilators put every confidence in the flesh. Which... The flesh here is contextually defined as any right action or service that you can do physically, such as baptism, tithing, preaching, witnessing. Any of it that is trusted in to make you right with God or writer with God. I know that's bad grammar, but it gets the truth out there. Anything that you think you're doing that's going to make God love you more, that's an idol that is the flesh. And Paul says unequivocally, I know one thing that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Nothing good that I can produce. The only thing that's good that's coming out of me, Jesus is doing that. That's Romans 7, 18. One commentator put it this way. If the energy of the flesh can only consign us more and more, certainly to the wrath of God, of what use is self-reliance? In other words, if if everything I'm doing only gets God more and more angry with me, why am I trusting in me? That's not working. They say in, in South Georgia, that dog won't hunt. That doesn't work. Jot this down, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We put no confidence in the flesh. The inward mark of the circumcised heart is that it is self-forgetful. It gives a hearty vote of no confidence in the flesh. Have you done that? Or are you trusting in something that you're doing to be more right with God or for God to love you more, you don't understand the gospel. But the true circumcision does. Circumcised hearts get it. And that's why we're free to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like these kids that went to Africa and left everything. Got three babies over there. They see their family once every four years. Why would somebody do something like that? Their hearts circumcised. They're sensitive to God. They, they feel, they, they move, they live, they have their being and literally the God of the universe. And that's well worth it because they're going to spend eternity with their families because their families are in Christ too. They don't trust themselves. They trust the Lord. Again, last one, I promise you, I won't quote him anymore, but, but uh, Mottier says this. I'm going to have to print this up for y'all. We need to have this. He calls it the Christian's Creed. Here it is, quote, I believe in the Holy Spirit who has given me new life, made me a priest of God, and who leads me in true worship. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Master King Jesus, the only Savior, the only worthy object of adoring praise. And I believe that in me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. That's a good creed. We ought to wake up every morning with that creed on our lips. So what? So what? So these Naughty people were going around trying to undo Paul's work wherever he went. And Paul said the real circumcision is the internal and it's us. And he gives us these three marks. So what? (sighs) Let me give you a couple of things. First of all, the head. Let me give you something to know. Hopefully I've communicated. Know that you are owned by a master. And that master is either God or someone else, but you are owned. Be aware of false teachers and false teachings. Seek wise counsel from your spiritual leaders. Know that you are affirmed by the Holy Spirit as the real deal. <laughs> Isn't that great, Jay? The Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, You're a real deal. You're serving with joy. You're bragging up Jesus, and you're not trusting you. Here's the heart. This is the experience. Are you operating on PBA or JBA? You say, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Are you living your life out of performance-based acceptance or Jesus-based acceptance? I know a lot of people in the church that are living out of performance-based acceptance, and they're eking out their need for love from the church itself by working so hard for God, but they're thinking that that gets them closer to God and God makes God love them more. Here's the reality, it doesn't. It actually gets in the way. We come to God on the basis of Jesus and the Father's acceptance of his son. It's a Jesus-based acceptance. And when that hits you, you get free. And when you get free, you get busy. And when you get busy, you get happy. And when you glad in your heart, people know about your king. Do I see myself as God's slave, as owned by God, or more likely, do I see God as owned by me, added to my life to serve my needs? Another way of asking that question is who's on the throne? You or God? Are you play, praying your kingdom come, or my kingdom's here, come and help me with it? God's not interested in your kingdom. He's only interested in his own. Are we self-forgetful servants? Self-forgetful servants are born. And I would say born again. Amen? But they're also made. Once they're born again, then they're made by way of saturation with King Jesus. It's intimacy. When you're born again, and then your salvation, and then you're made a self forgetful servant, that's sanctification. How does that happen? Intimacy with the king. And we're going to see that word knowledge all over in the, in the coming verses. Here's, here's the question about this morning Did I worship and serve God in this service today? Did I really? Am I choosing to rejoice and boast in King Jesus? And how much am I relying on what I can do for God to make me feel loved by God? It is my choice to rejoice. And am I choosing to boast in King Jesus today? I'll give you these last three B's and we're, we're going to be done today. First one is behavior behavior. And that's worship or serving via the spirit. We're serving God in the energy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's our behavior. What's the application there? Saints, we need to be more intentional, intentional about what we are letting in to our lives. Let me be specific. The music you listen to. How can you call yourself a slave of the, a servant of the king, and listen to the enemy's music? I'm serious, and it's not funny. It's not a joke. It's not okay. That's treason, and you'll answer for that. Movies, books, be careful what you're letting in into your eye gate, and in your mind. Boasting, rejoicing, glorying, praising, gladdening your heart in King Jesus. By the way, praising the king is practicing discernment. Did you know that? The more you praise King Jesus for what he did for you, the more you understand the gospel, the more your radar gets hot and anything that is false shows up clear and quick. That's why it's safe for you. Here's another one. Practice verbal rejoicing. In King Jesus. I tried to get you to do that today. It's the safest place you can do it. Practice verbal rejoicing. And I'll give you a little hint how to do that. It's called habit pairing. Anybody ever heard of habit pairing? So it's hard to start a habit. Would you agree? So like you go out here and say, I'm going to do what the preacher said and I'm going to start out loud. I'm going to start boasting in Jesus. I'm going to set a time on my phone to do that. You can do that. Or... How many of you have a habit that you do every day, maybe more than once a day? Got it? Like, for for example, I'll give you a softball. I I hope you pray before you eat. Like when you get home at night, get together with your family, you pray. Pair the habit of verbally boasting in your king to the prayer time. Just, Just pair them up. You're already doing the one. Just bring the other to it. Does that make sense? Um, And then verbally brag and rejoice in the Lord. Praying before meals. How about eating? Anybody eat every day more than once? Any any coffee lovers out there? All right. First cup of coffee. Before you take the sip, as that smell, pair pair the habit and say, King Jesus, I don't know who... Who did? Why you thought this, but thank you for making a bean and thank you for that person who decided they were going to put that in the fire and crush it up and put some hot water in there. This stuff is awesome. I want to boast in you and thank you, King Jesus, for this. Pair your habits and become a verbal boaster in King Jesus. Here's another one, red lights. I hate red lights. You know what I use them for? Boasting in King Jesus out loud. Or if you're like me, Every single person I get behind in the gas, line station, gas station line has never seen a gas pump in their life. It's branded apparently from Mars. And I don't know how they're driving because they've never seen a gas pump ever. And I get behind those people all the time. And when I start getting frustrated, I, that's a habit pairing. When I feel frustration, I start to thank God for the time to sit there and just enjoy him. And I start bragging on Jesus. So pair that verbal Boasting in the Lord. Then the last one is belief. No confidence in anything that I can do apart from the Holy Spirit. Here's how you do that. You're not going to like this. Or your flesh isn't going to like this. As much as is possible, do your good deeds, your good works anonymously. Serve King Jesus with only he and you knowing. The scriptures say don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing." It's doing. It's not for other people. For God who sees secretly, and he'll reward you openly. Serve in hiddenness as much as you can. And then this is a hard one, and it's it's the last one. Evaluate your flesh confidence. So how do I evaluate my flesh confidence? Talk to your wife. Ask her. Wives, ask your husband. How much confidence am I putting in my flesh? or ask a best friend that really knows you and loves you enough that they're going to tell you the truth. Ask your brother, your sister, your best friend. Help them ask them to help you evaluate. Do you see me putting my confidence in what I'm doing rather than in King Jesus? So what else, what do we do with this, Pastor Paul? We repent. We repent of our failings. Have we all failed a little bit? Yeah. We rejoice in our King And his perfect record, that is now our perfect standing. (laughs) Amen? What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. What did I bring to the table? Only the sin that made the cross necessary. I brought the bad stuff. I got all the good stuff because God's just that good. Where is my confidence? Who or what is it really in? Would you stand with me? Join me in prayer today. Father, we come to you thanking you that we are the true circumcision we're the only circumcision those who put no confidence in the flesh who worship you and serve you in the spirit who trust in you alone and who boast in our king everything in those three marks cannot be done without a constant rehearsal mentally and verbally of the gospel as is specific to our lives We were the problem, Jesus the solution. We owed a debt, he paid the debt. It is always that constant rehearsal, which brings about rejoicing, which brings about boasting, which causes us to be thoroughly convinced that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And Lord, I have zero doubt that there's people in this room, in the room right now, that is not them. They are deceived, they are dead in their sins, and they are living for self. Would you wake them up to their need to have this king? Call them to yourself and make them your own. Where we have failed, make us quick repenters. We might embrace the beauty of your holiness, your kindness, and your goodness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.